be able to uh, control yourself for this one. <laughs> why, why do you say that? Well, Pam Greer is known for a lot of things. Yeah. But uh, like two her, of the things she's known for. Great acting yep. and um, like strong personality. Those are the two I was thinking of. But then yeah. if you had to go further down the list, she's also uh, known for her, uh, shall we say, ample bosom. Uh, left and righty is what you're saying. <laughs> All right. This is what I mean. Are you going to be able to control yourself? This is... <laughs> We've already debunked the boob thing. We know that this isn't true. But Okay. But, but hold on then. Because when we were going to do this episode, I offered you a choice of two different coffee beers. Did you or did you not choose the one that could be seen as a breast reference? <laughs> I did pick double yes, up. That's right, you did. Yeah. So I'm a little nervous about this. I'm going to apologize in advance for any of our listeners. I mean, if, uh, I turned down the one that was called Motorboat. So I guess that's, that's, not, that's, not, a, that's not a real beer. That's not a real beer. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing the black exploitation classic Coffee starring the legendary Pam Greer. Yeah, I'm excited for this. This was you sort of introduced me to black exploitation movies last season, um, and this is sort of my second exposure to it—a very different movie than what we watched last time. Well, yeah, we watched Human Tornado last season. It was one of the two movies that we gave the perfect score a crit twenty, and uh, that's the Rudy Ray Moore film. Of course, Rudy Ray Moore a little angled more towards comedy, whereas this is more of like a straightforward fighting against power. Kind of the traditional black exploitation narrative. Yeah, this is a very gritty film, right? It's it's not one that um, looked to add a lot of comedy, but was a, a very serious kind of fight against uh, drugs and exploitation. So uh, it was cool. I really enjoyed it, and we're going to get to it as we talk through. Before we do, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> yeah, well, we've got this beer that you chose because you love boobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this is a coffee milk stout. I'm very excited for this because this is something that's right up my alley. What do you know about this brewery here? Uh, so this is from the Tomorrow Brewing Company. I think they used to be called the Old Tomorrow Brewing Company. Uh, they were created in 2014 um, by a mom and son, which I think is really cool. You don't see a lot of sort of mother-son pairings uh, in the beer business, and I thought that was a, a cool concept that they had going here. I'll take your word for it. I mean, you always hear the phrase mom and pop. I don't know if there's an equivalent version for mom and child i don't know yeah so they're super canadian so they kind of say that all of their beers are inspired by canadian flavors or staples and i think this one is actually a reference to a double double ah which is what canadians call uh two cream two sugar yes yeah so i think they were probably not allowed to put that on the can there was probably copyrighted i'm sure uh the company that serves most of the double doubles in canada has that uh locked down tim hortons yeah I'm really excited to try this one. I love coffee and milk stouts as well, so I think it's going to be delicious. I think they have some other pretty cool beers. There's like a peaches and cream and a strawberries and cream beer. Uh, so I'd be interested to try some others too, but it sounds like uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, I've definitely had, they have like a honey ginger, I think it's a shandy. I've had that before. Their lager is pretty strong as well. You can get their stuff uh, in most places in Ontario. I'm not sure about elsewhere, but All right. it's solid. I'm looking forward to this for sure. Let's yeah, do it. I am interested. Let's go. So we open with the American International logo, and that almost always means you're in for a treat. Samuel Z. Arkoff presents Coffee. <laughs> Again, probably first Samuel Z. Arkoff movie, but I'm excited. 
He's a name much like Dino De Laurentiis that the more stuff you see with his name on it, you're like, yeah, I like what this dude's putting down. Well, I love Dino now, so I'm sure this guy's going to be right in my legendary Dino De Laurentiis. (laughs) The action starts with some dude entering a club through a trippy kind of spiral door, asking a waitress a question and getting pointed towards a very successful looking man. That man is a drug dealer and he assumes the guy who walked in is here for drugs, but it turns out he's there to offer the drug dealer some tail. Those are his words. He's got a girl in the car who'd do anything for drugs. And when the dealer heads outside, we see that it's Pam Greer. This is a, a an interesting start to the movie. We get some really good funky music. It's dark. There's sort of a lot of action happening there. And I laughed uh, when he described her as a piece of tail, for sure. Yeah, some of the terminology, of course, in uh, 1970 is pretty funny by today's standards. I loved how this drug dealer was against the whole idea, but as soon as he sees Pam Greer, he is immediately whistling a different tune. He is right on board. <laughs> they drive away. She confirms that he is, in fact, the big drug dealer she's heard about and tells him that if he'll hook her up, it's anything you want, big man. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I start out here not knowing um, where this movie's going. Uh, is Pam Greer's character a drug addict who also sort of gives her body away for uh, those drugs? And that's what it's sort of shaping up to be here. No, it's all a ruse. After the credits and obligatory theme song, we find these same characters at some kind of drug den where Pam Greer tells the big man he better give her some dope before they bone down. But first, why not turn out the lights? And as soon as he does, she blows him away. It turns out that <laughs> it turns out that she's there for revenge, see, because her younger sister has gotten hooked on the drugs this guy's pushing. She then threatens the other guy who's there in no uncertain terms. This goes from me wondering whether Pam Greer is a prostitute and a drug user to seeing her as a badass, and we're going to get a one-woman war on drugs. Well, that's what Pam Greer is. She's a badass. Your lack of Pam Greer experience is why you believe for even a second that she might actually just be playing a drug addict. Yeah, this is just some very noobish belief here. I should have known better. Yeah, I forgive you, though. The next time we see her, she's assisting on a surgery in an OR. Apparently, she's a nurse in her day job. Two cops arrive at the hospital looking for more info on a drug OD from that night, almost certainly the other guy from that apartment. One of them, Officer Brown, knows coffee and in the course of their conversation tells her all about the junkie they found. He thinks there's something else going on, but he has no idea. He also tries to make a move on her, but she's apparently got a politician boyfriend. So I do want to throw back to that like first interaction or, or, or movie scene, though. Uh, you spent a lot of time at the start talking up Pam Greer's breasts. Oh, wait, wait a second. That's not true. <laughs> and they came out uh, as sort of the distraction while she was attempting to murder the drug dealer. Is that why your notes turned into just like a squiggly line? You just lost track of the, the pen like trails off the page? Yeah. 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 I think uh, something else knocked my book out of my lap. And oh, I just my got- God. Okay. This is I'm apologizing again to all of our listeners here. What, uh, how do you think her politician boyfriend feels about, uh, what you just mentioned? <laughs> about her breasts or, uh... God, man, you're like obsessed. Come on, move <laughs> past it. From there, we cut to a juvenile rehabilitation center where Coffee visits her sister. Turns out there's lots of kids like her with drug problems, some as young as nine. This, combined with some more details she shares with Officer Brown, tells us why she's on her one-woman war against drugs. There's some real social commentary here. Yeah, definitely. They can see that the people who are getting rich uh, off of this drug trade are 
not the average person, right? Like we're getting our drug dealers, but they're really hearkening to all of the people in politics and especially the rich white men who are, who are getting rich off of this. Right? I mean, you can't make a black exploitation movie without having a rich white man as the villain. And for good reason, right? That's the whole thing these movies are railing against. Yeah, no, I liked it. I, I was happy that this was sort of this, it was different, I think, in the villain in the first black exploitation movie we watched was just an extremely racist white man. Yep. Right. And this one, I like that it sort of points to the sort of social structures or the who is really benefiting from some of this stuff. There's still some racism thrown in there, though. Oh, as we'll absolutely. See later on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But this I like as a as we're moving the plot. Right. I like this idea. Yeah. It is an interesting scene at the at the hospital because it's clear that the police officer knows her. I don't know if they grew up together or why they have that connection. Um, he's definitely into her, and she seems to have some kind of like feelings if not friend feelings for him because yeah she is connected to this other politician yeah it seems they maybe used to have a thing but as he drops her off and sees her politician boyfriend's limo he asks how a cop can compete with that yeah he's not going to be able to compete with that the opportunities that her politician boyfriend gives her are not the same she's also a little disappointed because she asks him why he's not arresting those people right why aren't the police doing what they're meant to do the reason is they're on the take we find that out later too this limo takes her to meet the aforementioned boyfriend at a 70s bar. Howard is his name. And this bar, of course, features a topless dancer. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I guess this is just like an actual thing that maybe happened back then. So weird to me. I don't understand it. I've never been to a bar. In the 70s? Me neither. Well, in the 70s, <laughs> no. Where it seems like a regular bar, but there's just topless women there. And we'll I, have to get someone from the 70s to tell us that was a real thing. Are we going to ask be, your mom last time? I think that oh, was... I don't <laughs> want to do that. Come on, man. I just don't want to do that. Uh, I think we should. I think that would be a good solution. At this bar, they have a drink with a high-ranking police official while a mustachioed, eye-patched, mutton-chopped guy watches them from across the room. What a look this guy has. This is incredible. It feels like he is a Bond villain. Like, this is what it kind of gives me those vibes. Uh, I guess a lot of the Bond films I remember are kind of from a similar era, so they might take on similar kind of themes or strategies. In yeah, I know exactly what you mean. They give him some kind of physical quirk or something. and it's, yeah. yeah. He's not a good guy, though, clearly menacing. As after a club photographer takes a picture that he happens to be in the background of, he follows her into the kitchen and threatens to cut her t off if she doesn't give him the film. Yeah, this is fucked up. Like, I'm a little bit confused here. Um, the picture guy is sort of getting blasted. Like, what's happening here? She's threatening to blast her away, cut her boob off. What? <laughs> Yeah, if she, he needs the film. He needs her to give him because he appears in the film. So clearly he can't be seen. Maybe he's wanted. He's got warrants. But he threatens to cut mm. her boob off if she right. won't give it to him. And he, she does, right? Well, of course, man. Yeah. You want to lose a t No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. No. Uh, so politician boyfriend Howard tells Coffee he's thinking of running for Congress. And she's intrigued. She says she's never screwed a congressman before. Until now, as we immediately cut to an extremely limp sex scene. Not literally. I'm sure this guy had a raging boner the whole time they were filming this. But this is one of those tame 70s sex scenes where he's kind of just lying on top of her. You know what I mean? Yeah. You he's very still. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't impressive. You think um, with someone with um, the assets of our leading lady here that is. he would have been a little <laughs> bit more uh, active rather than just laying on top of her and gently moving his hips back and forth. I will say, uh, Pam Greer isn't exactly helping him out here. She does not seem to be enjoying this at all. And he kind of picks up on it, too. He's maybe a little sensitive. I thought it was because when a man gets my age, he can't satisfy them lusty young bitches no more. 
Those are his words. I wrote down that line too. I thought that was funny. They kind of lie down by the fire afterwards, and she proceeds to give him a champagne blow. Well, yeah, things do heat up later on. She pours her drink on his and then blows him. So, I mean, he's got to leave feeling pretty good, regardless of how everything else shook out. Oh, he definitely leaves feeling good after that champagne blow. I mean, how could you not, right? Like... <laughs> Um, we cut from here to her pulling up to the hospital where some random dude thinks she looks sad and tries to molest her before Officer Brown shows up to save the day. He can tell something's up, so they head over to his place to have a cup of coffee and talk about it, and I guess she's just skipping work? Like, didn't she just pull into the hospital? Yeah, it was really weird, right? She shows up to go, some weird dude tries to make her feel better, and then she just leaves. If there's a nursing shortage, uh, I think they would have noticed that she wasn't there, but I'm not sure what's going on here. Either way, this scene where they have coffee is here to show us what a good guy he is as he refuses to go along with some dirty cops on a scheme. But it turns out that was a bad call as these guys bust in and hilariously attack him. They also rip her top off, which we've got a whole lot more of those coming. <laughs> Tiny shirt rip. So buddy. many unnecessary shirt rippings. Um, and of course, when a shirt is ripped, those boobs come flying out. Yeah, no, definitely. No brassiers holding anything in place. No one's wearing a bra in this yeah, movie at all. Yeah, no. So after this attack, Officer Brown is in rough shape. Doctors say major brain damage. So now Coffee's got one more reason to go after the criminal element here in the city. Criminals like King George, who Officer Brown told her about right before the beatdown. And that's who she's after as she pays a visit to one of King George's girls, Priscilla. She's a a lady of the day? Yeah, I guess uh, she used to be kind of his main girl, but she mouthed off to him and he cut her face. So no longer uh, is she kind of the head prostitute or uh, i don't know maybe escort is a better word for it no now he's got her squirreled away in some uh like safe house being guarded by a a rather uh large intimidating uh masculine type woman (laughs) what a strange strange setup right this whole world this underbelly world it is not a world that either one of us understand no it's very confusing to me all the things that are happening in this underbelly of the drug dealing of the 1970s and Uh, prostitution don't forget prostitution they're all connected in there together we find out that he cut her after she called him the N-word. Well, I mean, I don't want to justify a face cutting, but... No, no, but this will sort of tell you about... Was she a white woman? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's an interesting kind of dynamic they're throwing in here, right? Yeah, hers is a sad story, but she gives coffee the location of King George's heroin stash and some important info about a high-ranking gangster named Arturo, although coffee does have to threaten her with a broken bottle first. Which all leads to a hilarious catfight between Coffee and Priscilla's uh, handler, I guess, Harriet, that aforementioned uh, giant woman. Yeah, I kind of took Harriet to be her new partner. There was kind of a vibe of like, almost like a prison thing where it's like, you know, one person becomes the other person's like, for lack of a better term, bitch. And that was sort of Yeah, I kind of took Harriet here. to be her, her protector in that relationship. Like she was the... Um, I think she refers to herself as like her man. Yeah. Which, you know. Yeah, exactly. Who knows what's going on there exactly, but. So it was interesting. It seemed like a lot of people still visited Priscilla, right? Like she still was kind of a door open. Um, And so the other woman was used to her having those visitors, but not ones that were threatening her with broken bottles. No. So we get that cat fight, as I mentioned. It's pretty funny. Uh, Coffee manages to escape. And now we get to meet King George, who has his own theme song. George, George, <laughs> <That's> hilarious! <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts so far of the uh, black exploitation genre that we've been looking at—the constant theme songs. Yes, yeah. I love when people write theme songs. You know how music makes me feel in most of these movies. It's such a key for the way that I enjoy them. That to see people writing their own theme songs is tremendous. 
Oh, yeah. And this dude, by the way, he's dressed like a Dijon matador. This sequence is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) That was very good descriptive language. I'm I'm picturing a a very orangey yellow matador. (laughs) Uh, Coffee is lounging by the pool undercover and lures him in with an atrocious Jamaican accent because, as Priscilla told her, that guy Arturo likes exotic girls. On a scale of 1 to 10, this accent is a negative 7. It's so bad. You're the lady from Jamaica who called me. That I am, ma'am. And I can see that you're not at all disappointed, of course. So I'll come straight to the point, as I like to do. It's absolutely atrocious. Has she ever met a Jamaican person before? I don't think so, based on the way that she's trying to pull off this accent. And the fact that she throws it out here... And then it disappears like partway through the scenes where she's supposed to be the Jamaican person. <laughs> is, not stick around. Oh my goodness. This this adds to my how bad this movie is for sure. That's fair. Now she basically offers to join his stable, which is that how that would go? Is that are prostitutes coming up to the pimp being like, Hey, can I be one of your prostitutes? I have no idea. I guess if they think that working under that pimp would get them higher value clients, I think that's something that possibly happen yeah uh i mean i guess they offer protection to her that's always the thing is like because if some people try and rough up the women the pimps there to yeah i guess if you had like assured protection then you might be willing to go with a certain person i think it would be more uh higher value money and higher value clients i bet you you'd rather not be a bottom feeder in that industry no, probably not. I, who knows? We don't know enough about this. Time yeah, why are we either. talking about this? That's I weird. don't know. But yeah. uh, going back to the stable, we get to meet them now. And what a crew this is. Professionally run, I'll say that. They've got one girl directing traffic for them, taking calls and sending girls out on jobs. She's doing a really good job of like corralling this whole enterprise. Yeah, their administrative assistant is the best employee in that place by a long shot. She's got everything under control. He has someone described as his best hooker. Well, of course, you're going to have a number one for sure. You've got your premium, you know. <laughs> but they even labels her that, though, like my best hooker. Here she is. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you call and ask for. I mean, if I'm calling, I'm asking for the best. <laughs> well, depending on price. Maybe it's like, okay, what do we, what do we have? When in you're more, calling, you're asking are, for the best. Is what that do we have in more of a mid-range? <laughs> I, you know, uh, so. <laughs> I want to budget this one. <laughs> King George brings coffee up to the apartment, or Mystique, as she's calling herself, and he's going to test her out. But in an unfortunate surprise, his main woman has returned earlier than expected from Miami. She isn't exactly thrilled with King George taking coffee for a spin, but he does. And just as he undresses, we cut to a champagne cork popping. Innuendo! What a good transition. That's great. I like this transition. We, we transition from the innuendo of them potentially f***ing. They f***ed, I guess. Uh, <laughs> to a perv party? Oh, yeah. There's a client party, we'll call it. This is where this tension all boils over. When King George is showing off his newest acquisition, his Miami lady dumps a tray of drinks on her. This gives Coffee the perfect chance to sneak off and search King George's apartment, where she finds his heroin stash and replaces it with sugar. She also slips a couple of razor blades into her wig, so we know she's gearing up for trouble. Yeah, this is funny. Um, are there 70s pervs? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, so there are lots oh, of absolutely, pervs at this yeah. party, so it yep. can happen. Okay, good. I just wanted to get that clarified. I She had been told or tipped off that the drugs were in his fireplace before. Yeah, by Priscilla. Yeah, so she kind of she knew that where she had to look. I thought she was poisoning them. I was wondering what she was doing, but she was just switching out with sugar, which has an important plot point later. Well, she doesn't want to kill anybody, right? She's not trying to, well, other than drug dealers, she's not trying to kill drug users because her sister is one of those, right? She's only trying to get on like the drug dealers' uh, bad sides by fucking up their stash. 
we're about to get just a sweet throwdown right here. Oh, sure enough. When she comes back to the party, she dumps an entire salad in the main girl's hair, which starts a massive hooker brawl. And this is <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> Literally oh. every hooker gets their top ripped off. Seriously, this is like something out of the Naked Gun movies. That scene where O.J. Simpson, every direction he turns, he's like smashing into something and hurting himself. Just an endless series of shirt rips, straight slapstick comedy. I love this so much. It is pretty hilarious. It's amazing. It's just so funny. None of them clearly know how to fight, nor is the scene choreographed, really. No. There was probably just like, you get in there, you get in there, and then make sure you grab at each other's teeth. That's because all, that's, that's all, all that is. was advised. Yeah. Um, she's kind of dummying everyone, right? Like, coffee is oh, just yeah. dummying bitches. Like, everyone's getting their <laughs> ass kicked right now. <laughs> she is. Absolutely. This all culminates with King George's main lady trying to grip coffee's wig off and slicing up her hands for her troubles. And the whole time all of this is going on, the men are just watching fully erect. Yeah, they're not doing anything. They're not trying to intervene. All those yeah. pervs are loving this. They are. One of them, Arturo, a fairly mousy-looking guy who we already know is a big deal, says that after seeing this, he must have her tonight. Is that the weird mustache dude? That's the way. It's kind of like Phil Spector almost, like a young yeah. mustachioed Phil Spector. Yeah, he's he's definitely weird. We, we'd heard a little bit about him before, that he's got some weird kind of sexual desires oh and we're gonna find out about that real soon because that's where we go next coffee dressed up nicely and carrying a stuffed lion for some reason so he's in a mansion that's nicer than everybody else's so far oh he's the biggest money in this he's, okay. the, he's the guy behind the drug trade essentially okay because he yeah. is absolutely loaded he's in this giant mansion he's our big bad for okay. this movie yeah, um, I had struggled. I wasn't quite sure whether he was um, almost like a member of the drug dealer's entourage until afterwards, until we, we got to the mansion. They don't do a very good job of explaining who everyone is, which, again, is a hallmark of the low-budget, hurried production of a lot of these things. Yes. Within 30 seconds of her getting in there, she grabs his dick, and I guess he's got a hog because she asked him, Are you sure you're not just a little black? <laughs> uh, now he's pretty sure and as he makes very clear through his sexual proclivities the very thought would disgust him here's where we get some of that racism we were talking about yes um it's at this point too that she doesn't have the jamaican accent anymore oh no it's long gone yeah, yeah. like it's We've completely gone that. um i think she was just flattering his hog size like she knows that she has to say that to a white man um, okay but in all seriousness if someone did that to you like you're gonna isn't the fact that you like you that's disingenuous isn't that gonna make you like less attracted to the person or find like less appealing like if someone's blowing smoke up your ass and you're like if you sense it yeah if if you sense that it's it's blowing smoke it's not gonna help for sure it'll be worse but i feel like this is one of those people arturo is one of those characters or people that any kind of compliment you give them they're gonna take and believe he appreciates the gesture no it's not even the gesture he believes it like he is one of those people that doesn't think a negative thing about it. Oh, I guess I do have a huge... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like that's the kind of... I think there's people like that in the world, right? Who um, have that kind of identity where if if you give them a compliment, they believe it wholeheartedly because they can only think positive things about themselves. Fair enough. Is that megalomania? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So she tries to make a move on him. There's a gun in the stuffed lion, but his bodyguards bust in and recognize her as the girl from Officer Brown's place because she was there when they busted him up. They ask who she's working for, and she says King George, because if you're in trouble, why not try to put the heat on a no-good pimp? Hey, I mean, this is a smart move. She's been caught. She's been caught by these guys who had masks on when they beat the shit out of the cop, but did recognize her. 
I think Eyepatch is here, and he's one of the people who kind of sees what's going down, too. I don't remember him being there, but it's possible. Either way, this works, as after a quick scene with his busted-up lady, King George heads out for a delivery and gets immediately taken by Arturo's goons. And that's it for King George. They tie a noose around his neck and drag him behind the car until he's dead. This scene is fucked. Yeah. Right? Like, they have a dummy uh, tied to a car, but that person is being dragged for, like, kilometers or miles. Well, like, now, hang on. For part of it, they use an actual stuntman. I was kind of impressed by that. Like, at the beginning, the guy is actually moving, but then, yes, it, it's clearly a dummy by the end, but at first, it was a real dude. But it's traumatic. Like, the amount yeah. of time they drag someone behind that car is fairly shocking. It, it does... Even still now, knowing it's not a real person, lead to like the emotion of thinking about someone being killed in that way. Well, and I was going to say, there's a strong historical connection here, right? The guy getting like lynched, essentially, yes. and dragged behind a car. Like, that absolutely. is meant to absolutely instill in the audience the feeling of like these motherfuckers. It's really lending them like an evil credibility. On some level, you're kind of preying on the audience's like relationship to that, but that's kind of what makes it effective. It works um, extremely well. Yeah, definitely. Extremely well. Now, we cut from this harrowing scene to Howard speaking to the press about the danger of drugs in the community and how evil white men are behind the whole thing. He's not wrong, but as we see in a second, he's also totally in on it. Yeah, this is a bit of a dick punch, right? You're hopeful for coffee and for this congressman that they're going to be able to work together and, and fight these sort of political structures that are causing the drugs to get into her community. But clearly, that's not the case. Classic corruption. Before that, though, we find out what happened to Coffee. Arturo's goons have her locked in a hot box by the pool. I guess it's like a sauna. Yeah. She looks around the room and finds a hairpin, which she immediately starts sharpening. She turns into MacGruber. She does a little bit, yeah. She brings it with her when they take her to see Arturo. And you know who else is there? Her boyfriend, Howard. When they ask him about their relationship, he brushes her off as just some broad I f***. And I'm pretty sure it's going to come back to haunt him. Yeah, he tells them to just fucking kill her. Yeah. He, he completely gives him up. Clearly, the money is more important to him than coffee. He did say that her sort of like young lusty wilds were too much for him anyway. I think it's more <laughs> about him not being able to satisfy her than right. him, his care for money. I think if you put the two things up there together, uh, the power is one thing, but I think him feeling impotent is what causes him to say this. Well, and he probably knows like what she's all about, and so he knows eventually this is going to be a conflict, right? So better to get her out of the way. Oh, he definitely knows for sure that she's she's going to try to stop this. Now, he knows, but Arturo isn't sure what to believe. Uh, he's aware that Coffee's there to kill him, but doesn't exactly know why. Howard makes it clear that it isn't anything to do with him, as he says, Black, brown, or yellow, I'm in it for the green. The green buck. <laughs> thus establishing him as the lowest form of black exploitation villain, the guy who would sell out his own race. Yeah, for money, right? Yeah. Just completely sell out for money, and yeah. So, yeah, so he's the biggest piece of shit in this movie now? Definitely. Yes. I cannot fucking wait for this guy to get what's coming to him. Oh, it's true. And we kind of know that, or we, we think that Coffee's not out of this game yet. We think that there's got to be something. There's no way they're ending it with her just getting demolished by these Fuck no. You, even you, a person who has not seen a lot oh, yeah. of exploitation no. movies, you know that's not how it's going I, down. I know no. something's coming here, and, and this is where we're about to get them to try to get rid of her, but we know this isn't going to go as they planned. Well, yeah, they decide to inject her with heroin and make her death look like an OD, but what they don't know is that she swapped with the heroin with sugar. So when they take her to a secluded spot under a bridge and shoot her up, she starts pretending she's high to lure them into a false sense of security. She also uses her feminine charms and sexuality to lure the main henchman <laughs> in so she can escape. Yeah, this is funny. She she does use her charms that we've seen throughout the movie, and he falls for it, which is 
Kind of the one, I mean, there's a few different loose ends in this, but that kind of felt too cheesy to me. I don't know, man. He lays the groundwork for this by telling her what a shame it is to let a good piece like her go to waste. That's his words. And uh, she tells him, you know, it's not too late. He lets his guard down, assuming that the drugs have done their job, and that gives her the chance to stab him multiple times with a hairpin and run into traffic. Yeah. So this scene is fairly laughable. It's the big action piece. Come on, man. Oh, my. Well, unless you count the hooker fight from earlier. But this is it. The hooker fight was, uh, yeah, interesting, too. So she runs out into traffic, and the others chase her. Yeah, it's a pair of dirty cops. While the fucking other dude with the hairpin is really bleeding, he's out of commission. The cops try and chase her down. One of them gets hit by a car, followed by what was clearly a dummy getting run over. This was fucking hilarious. Oh, my God. The cut to the dummy being run over by the truck. <laughs> the arms just flapping yeah. around. Oh <laughs> that was great stuff. I was laughing. This is to the point where I'm almost in tears, right? This is yeah, where man. you can tell the age and the budget of the production. Yep, 100%. Uh, after wiping out his partner, Coffee steals a car to go after Arturo and her now ex-boyfriend. He's headed for his beach house, which stops him from getting killed in Coffee's violent rampage at Arturo's. She runs over the eye patch guy with her car, then blows away Arturo and the other guy who was there, who I think was that police guy from back in the bar earlier, but they haven't really made it very clear. Yeah, it's pretty funny when uh, Eyepatch eats the card of the dick. Oh, it's fucking incredible. Oh, it's a really good scene. You see him just standing there, like, shocked, and then just getting owned right in the c- They, like, well, set by, up for the perfect height. By him, you mean the dummy that they have standing yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He gives um, us a nice, like, scream and shock look. Then we cut to the dummy shot. It's perfectly stationary. It just gets mowed over by the car. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. This whole section of action, the, like, where she's getting her vengeance, is really funny. Oh, it's uh, incredible, yeah. It's, it's not meant to be funny, and you're happy that it's happening based on what they've built throughout the movie, right? You're cheering this on the whole time, but it is definitely ridiculous. It is. So, yeah, this sequence was just great, but we aren't done yet. It's off to the beach house. She greets him with a... Hello, Howard. That lets him know that he's fucked. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And doesn't he say or go on to say that you are my woman? Well, yeah. She tells him that all his friends are dead, and now he's desperate. So he tries to spin this whole thing as him trying to help the brothers and sisters by working the system from the inside. But this is not a good strategy, considering what we know about Coffee's actual sister. And she calls him on his bullshit. So he pivots to the classic... But baby, I love you strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. And it seems like she's actually considering it, though. Yeah, she shouldn't. She shouldn't be thinking about it because after uh, she's contemplating whether she wants to off him or not, who shows up? Well, yeah, in what is a case of just the worst possible timing for Howard, some naked white lady comes out and is like, who is it, Howie? So Coffee blows his dick. (laughs) 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 I love this. I love that she went straight for his Anytime there is a, like, asshole who, like, is a, also a philanderer, I love when, yeah. when their, their penis gets blown off in a movie. Oh, I it's think it's just, just desserts. Yes. Yeah. The punishment fits the crime in that case. And we're basically at the end here. This movie ends with her walking off into the sunset until freeze frame. <laughs> Plus one from Cooper. And, yeah, man. And we're out. That's it. This whole thing was a tight 90 minutes. Maybe it's a little bit over. But, like, man, breezy. Breezed right through that. Although the film itself was not a breezy experience. What do you mean? I mean, it was dark and noirish and like a fight against crime. Oh, it's gritty. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely gritty in its themes. The The timing of it definitely moved along. You didn't feel like this was padded or dragging or any of those things. 
That's true. But it is kind of weird how, like, you're right. There's a lot of, like, dark, gritty elements. At the same time, there's also a lot of color in this, too, right? This is the weird thing about these black exploitation movies from the 70s. You have this juxtaposition of, like, the like a lot of stuff happens at night, dark themes and concepts, and it's it's like crime ridden and grimy. But at the same time, we have these bright colors of like some of the costumes and some of the style of dress and like the music and like whatever else. It's this weird like combination of the the seedy elements with like kind of like a fun, enjoyable you know well, style. I think that they were definitely intended to make money still, right? Like the goal of them was still to make movies that were fun for audiences to go see it, particularly black, black audiences, audiences yeah, right? Like yeah. fun for black audiences to go see. I think the sort of darkness or gritty story was obviously intended to feel true to black audiences, but they don't want to go to a movie theater to just be made to feel sad, right? So you need to have those kind of fun action pieces like the stripper fight uh, <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of the other kind of like dance or musical scenes. And I think that's why Rudy Ray Moore was so successful too, right? Because he made movies that were really fun to watch yeah. but still dealt with kicking the ass of racist whitey. Yeah, well, and that's also why we like we knew earlier, we mentioned this earlier, like Pam Greer's not going to die. She's going to get out of this, right? She's going to have some moves. They never end with like the main character getting murdered by the rich white drug dealers. It's not a thing, so... Yeah, it's kind of it's like a feel good thing at the end, and you got to add those elements in for the audience. And I think they did a good job here, man. But we might as well segue into our ratings here and find out exactly how good we all thought this was. So the way we always do this, we rate it on a scale of one to ten. We do it twice, one to ten for how bad it is, one to ten for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are ten out of ten on each scale, or as we call it, the crit twenty. Uh, and for me. This movie has a lot of stuff in it that's like bad in terms of production value, whatever else, but I cannot give it a 10 because it does so successfully check so many boxes of like the black exploitation genre. This movie, like you said, is there for a specific reason. It's there to uh, reflect and shine a light on some of the authentic experiences of black audiences of the time while at the same time giving them an entertaining 90 minutes or so, giving them like a hero victory at the end, something kind of cheer for. And this movie, I feel like, does that very well. I have this as an eight for how bad it is. All right. They really do a good job here of hitting all the black exploitation villain archetypes. We've got the rich white guys taking advantage of the black community, black guys betraying their race to take the white money, pimps, drug dealers, enforcers with a weird physical quirk. Um, so that I think is a plus. But like I've seen black exploitation movies where at least the villains were a little bit more interesting or the performance was better. So that kind of dinged it for me. That's why I still have it as an eight. Love the soundtrack, classic 70s soundtrack. I also love the liberal use of dummies for most of the death scenes. <laughs> like, they, they worked some action here. They had some action pieces. So while I recognize that several production elements are low budget, the combination of, like, Pam Greer, them checking all those boxes, and the soundtrack, it's an eight bad because, let's face it, this is was never going to be, like, a fucking not bad movie. But it's not nearly bad enough for me to give it a 10. How did you feel about it? That's fair. It is on our podcast, so generally the movies we choose are bad movies. Uh, there might be a couple asterisks or a couple people out there who'd like to argue different, and that's fair. That's what we like. This movie was a bad movie for me, um, and in, in the ways that it was bad were it didn't always make sense. It was confusing at times. It didn't always introduce characters or some of the plots in a way that I thought made sense. That's fair. Actually, now that I think about it, 
I really thought we were going to go back to Officer Brown at some point. He's kind of just pushed off to the side or like Coffee's sister or both, but I, I guess not. Not really. They kind yeah, of we, that. we lose some of the motivation yeah. uh, behind there. I mean, the special effects and the action, completely laughable, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, those are the, the big ones that stick out for me. There's some bad acting as well. There's some pretty poor for performances in here. Not Pam Greer's. Uh, you're right. She did a tremendous job in yep. terms of what she was trying to pull off. Not King George either. King George is all right. And yeah. actually her politician boyfriend, I thought, did no. a suitable job of being like a sleazy, you know. Yeah, no, the acting wasn't like all around horrible, but there were some really bad spots in there. The accent and oh, the non-accent yeah. Was, yeah. was really awful. That's bad. So there was some stuff in there um, that that made it a bad movie, but I had it at an eight as well because I Look think... At this. Yeah, we're I know. Agreeing. We're on the same page here. The things that prevented it from being... Further bad, I would say, would be the the music, the tempo. They didn't seem like they added a whole lot that was unnecessary. I think that the motivation was really good and the, the way she moved through was good. I liked the realism of the sort of violence and the way that she moved through there. Like It felt like that could be what would happen in a one-woman war on drug dealers, right? It felt like that's how she would have to maneuver it, and the way that she took them out or responded seemed seemed real right and i think that added to that sort of to me so i I had it as an innate as well all right now i feel like you've touched on some of this as you just explained that last part but how enjoyable did you find this movie on a scale of one to ten yeah so it was funny because i am so new to the genre that going in i almost expected another human tornado different right like it's so different different, right so different and once i started to realize what style of movie this was and and what it was about I would say I enjoyed watching it. I yeah. liked, I got into uh, the coffee character, right? And I, I was like sort of cheering for and hoping that she would be successful in her one woman fight on drugs. We knew that it wasn't going to go bad for her, right? Like we no. kind of, none of those feelings were were real that something's going to happen, but I was kind of invested in that. Some of the, <laughs> I laughed a lot at a lot of the action scenes and the fun, like the fun fighting that happened in there. None of it was particularly believable but it was enjoyable there were certain things that felt like they were out of place in a gritty story and that felt kind of funny to me but i also enjoyed it and i understand why they did that right like to keep the audiences engaged i had this down as a nine enjoyable hey now there you go i it was a movie that i would watch again um wow short list for us not specifically for pam Greer's breasts but they didn't hurt from the um (laughs) enjoyment of the movie either this is where i apologize for the fourth time in this podcast sorry everyone (laughs) i love that you have to set me up for failure and then apologize for you brought that up yourself i didn't say anything that That was all you this is this is who you are cooper um But uh, it has grown on me, this one person's war against either crime or violence or something happening in their life. And I think that I would like to see more movies like this. I actually want to go back and watch another movie um, by our friend... Charles Bronson? Yeah. Oh, buddy. Listen, if I can find any, if we can find a beer to match up with any of the Death Wish movies, we're going to do. We already talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Showgirls. I do have all five on DVD, so believe me, I would love to have an excuse to bust that out. All right. So a nine for you. Good stuff, man. Yeah. We are, like, completely aligned here on this one. What? I also have it. I had it as an eight, but as you know, anytime we have a freeze frame, I bump it up by one, so I'm bumping it up to a nine. Having had a little more black exploitation experience than you, like, this is not my favorite black exploitation movie. It's up there. It's a classic because, again, Pam Greer, 
just, I mean, you want to talk about like a sympathetic hero, the way that she plays this and the things that she's up against. She gets hurt along the way, dude. Like when her boyfriend betrays her, you see that at the end where he's trying to convince her like, no, no, I still love you. And she's, and she's really showing a lot of emotion there. She's so good at playing that role. For me, there was a little less action, a little less comedy for sure than some of the Blaspotation movies I've watched. It's just, it's a classic for a reason, right? So I had it as an eight, bumping it up to a nine. Um, again, love the music, love Pam Greer. The hooker brawl with all the shirt rips <laughs> was incredible. Like that scene, uh, I give an 11 out of 10 for enjoyable. <laughs> just what a good fucking time that was. Uh, and yeah, it's really easy to cheer for the one woman war on like drugs, crime, all of it. I When she shot that dude's dick off, I literally, I was like cheering. I'm like, this is fucking great. That's great stuff. So yeah, I have it. I had it as an eight plus one makes it a nine. We're on the complete same page here. I also would absolutely watch this guy. I have watched it before. I'll watch it again. We got to work in some more exploitation before, uh, you know, all said and done here. We'll fit in at least one more before the end of the season. Uh, maybe go back to the Rudy Ray Moore, get a little more comedy in there. But all yeah, right. this is a genre that's worth exploring for sure. I strongly encourage you and anybody else, check out some more exploitation films. Pam Greer, like historically underrated as an actress. She did a lot of heavy lifting in this and some other movies from this era. Yeah, I... I know who Pam Greer is, and I think I really only know her from Foxy Brown. Jackie Brown? Jackie Brown. Yep. The Quentin Tarantino movie? It's one of her only mainstream, like, starring roles, yeah. Yeah, and that was that's where I can place her, I think. But she, based on this and that movie, I think she probably deserved a lot more sort of a spotlight. I wonder if being in a lot of movies like this... Um, were those her only opportunities, or was it just... Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, re- realistically, the opportunities for starring roles for black women were basically non-existent in yeah. mainstream cinema. And, that's and just, like, in some ways, I mean, they've gotten better recently, but, like, she really missed her window here, I think. Yeah, it was... You either played a very stereotypical racist role in a movie, or, yeah, you didn't have other Or, like, the black right? friend, right? Like, yeah. you wouldn't get starring roles. And I think that's part of that is the reason why Quentin Tarantino brought her back for that movie. Like, he's a huge fan of this genre as well. And so when he was making his this story, he was like, went right to her with good reason. And she's great in Jackie Brown, too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of great, how about this beer, man? Yeah. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Really, really good. The Double Up Coffee Milk Stout from Tomorrow Brewing Company. Super easy to drink. Uh, what a beer to drink before noon. This is a great way to uh, get the day started. Yeah, we are recording this at like 10.30 in the morning, and it's, it's working out well. It is the right beer to drink in a morning. It was super smooth. The milk um, stout part of it adds a, an incredible sweetness. It is very reminiscent of drinking a like a coffee an actual double-double, yeah. yeah. cream and sugar in it. So uh, I would crush another one of these for sure, and I look forward to having some more beers from Tomorrow Brewing Company. Yeah, I didn't find it as sweet as you. When we first cracked this open, you mentioned that it was really sweet, and I was a little nervous because some beers that are too sweet for me, I'll be like, eh, I'll kind of like suffer through it. This, I thought, it had great coffee flavor. Like There is a hint of sweetness there. You get that cream. You get a little bit of the sugar. But overall, just a strong coffee flavor, very drinkable, really enjoyed it. And yeah, I agree. Perfect beer to have before noon. This is a great morning beer, a little breakfast beer for anybody who's out there. So if you have a chance, I would drink this again in a heartbeat. Big fan right here. This was delicious. Uh, You know what else I'm a big fan of? The movie that we're watching next week. Next week is uh, April 20th, 420. And so we decided it would be fun to watch maybe like a bit of a stoner comedy. And I don't know how you've never seen this before because we grew up... In the 90s, and I feel like everyone saw this movie, and it was a huge deal, and now it's kind of like falling off the radar a little bit. Next week, we're going to be watching Dude, Where's My Car? (laughs) This stars Ashton Kutcher? 
Ashton Kutcher and uh, Sean William Scott Stifler from American Pie. Oh, okay. Right after like American Pie, this was kind of like peak. He was the, really? the perfect guy okay. for this. I yeah. love the American Pie movies. I've definitely seen them multiple times. But for some reason, this one was one I never saw. Um, I don't know if it was. I wasn't a huge fan of Ashton Kutcher. I watched that 70s show, but he was my least favorite character on it. So maybe it was one of those where I was just like, keep me away from this. I mean, he played kind of a dummy, but so did Stifler. And this this is why together two of them are just two idiots in this movie. And it's kind of like surreal in a way. Like some of the stuff they experience, it's extremely low budget. And just like whoever wrote this, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking, but it's a lot of fun. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good time. Uh, I'm looking forward to the beer we're going to try. Well, I guess we'll talk about that when we get to the movie. That's uh, a pale ale, not an IPA. So I might be okay on this one too. We'll see. And it's an American one. Ooh. And by that, I mean not an American pale ale. It is literally from an American brewery. So so some of our American friends might be able to find this one. There you go. That one should just be a good old-fashioned uh, good time. <laughs> <laughs> a good old-fashioned good time. I mean, it sounds like you've been smoking. So uh, <laughs> you're ready for it. Uh, yeah, either way, that'll be a lot of fun. So please join us for that. If you haven't already, though, you should follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast. Yeah, feel free to send any suggestions for beer, movies, or combinations of the two to the DMs of those social media, or send us an email at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. We've actually got another audience request episode coming up real soon. But that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it coffee. I mean, that's just too easy. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything else. You got to take the last. I almost said, but uh, (laughs) no one sleeps when they mess with coffee.